Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. Hello, welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast by Wales Online. I'm Ben James. Today I'm joined by Simon Thomas and Andy Hal. Hello. How are we doing, gentlemen? Pretty good, thank you. Good. <laughs> nice, nice, succinct answer. Uh, we got plenty of uh, rugby to discuss. So there's a couple of big playoff games this weekend. Um, plus, uh, y- yourself, Andy, did a piece today, which I think has caused. Caused what, Ben? Uh, well, never dealt in Welsh rugby. Caused a stir, shall we say? Um, but we'll, we'll start with the first of those playoff games. Uh, that is the Scarlets against the Ospreys. Uh, Saturday night, Champions Cup playoff. Only one Welsh team can qualify for the Champions Cup uh, after Saracens ended our hope of two uh, on the weekend. How do we see this one going? I mean, it would be nice if we still had a chance at two, but in a way it's quite good that it's finally resolved and we've got a game to play, isn't it? Because we've been hanging on, waiting to find out when it was going to be played, who was going to be playing, where was it going to be played. We now know Saturday, Liberty Stadium, two in the West, battling it out for the one in Europe. It's it's going to be a really interesting game. I think the, the thing that's really fascinating is they haven't played, have they? They haven't played for weeks. So who can get back on the horse quickest, really? And um, interesting to see the teams as well, to see who's available, who's fit. Uh, I, th- I find it a very, very hard game to call. The Ospreys, um, towards the end of the season, um, they really got an excellent run. And their defence in particular was uh, pretty strong. Um, a key men back showed again that once the Ospreys have got close to their first strength team up, they're a pretty decent outfit. And the Scarlets, obviously, on judgment day, they lost to the Dragons, didn't end the season in a happy way, but they love players, you know, a strong side out as well. So, no, I find it a very difficult game to call. Um, you possibly home advantage, interesting to see what kind of crowd they get. But uh, I suppose if we're going to have one side in Europe, let them play out and let's see who's going to do it. Well, I would hope this match uh, would sell out, but my understanding is they'd be lucky to half of a ground because season tickets don't apply, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it in the past when the Ospreys have been in uh, Pro 12 or Catholic League semi finals, all pay. They had disappointing crowds against uh, Glasgow and, uh, and Munster. Um, so, how many people are going to show up? This should be a sellout. How you know, much are the I tickets, and? I think they're £25, some of them. Um, you know, is that a lot for a game of this stature? Don't think so, myself. Uh, I, you know, I, this game should be marketed, should be sold, it should be a sellout. Shouldn't it? It's the biggest club game in Wales this bit season. I suppose it's, and it's not on terrestrial television. Yeah, on, yeah, so TV, yeah. two teams, it's cross-border, massive rivals. Should be a sellout. Do you think maybe the fact that you know the season has ended a few weeks ago and people have almost like drifted away in Welsh rugby from their minds on the game, maybe that yeah. has, hasn't helped? I perhaps. Yeah, I agree with that. It's sure, sure as it's a case of out of sight, out of mind. Mm. Uh, I imagine it's going to be really interesting. Of course, there's a subplot to the game as well. Scarlet's coach is Wayne Pivac, Osprey's defence coach. It's Sean Edwards, who's been working with them since again since Six Nations. Their de- defence has uh, has improved. Um, I think the Ospreys can win this game um, because I think the Scarlets I know Jake Ball is likely to be back for it yeah. uh, Rob Evans still out I believe uh, Ospreys could still perhaps you know, edge it up front and strangle them but there again the Os- uh, Scarlets got some really dangerous centres I mean Jonathan Davis and uh, Hadley Park so we really it's going to go potential to be a real cracking match I would imagine it would be close It's the first time they've met since the, the whole merger talks came and went it's ironic isn't it you had a merger where they were put into one and now we've got a game where one of them is going to go through you know so uh, yeah it's um, that seems an awfully long time <laughs> it ago does. doesn't it <laughs> and, you know it, and in a way it seems 
ridiculous that it happened. You know, you can't get your head around that we got that close. I mean, we were writing the story yeah. ourselves, Ben, and everything we were hearing was it was going to happen. And then, you know, a lot of changes in Welsh rugby very quickly. But yeah, I'm glad that they, they're both independent. That's how they should be. Um, you know, two teams with very proud records. Is this um, a reason, though? Playing devil's advocate. If they don't get a full house for the, this game, is this is that a reason then why there should be a merger? In, well, in terms of they can't draw the crowds, I mean, they can't draw the crowds. You know, they next door to each other, they can't draw the crowds. Would they do better if there was a merger? I, I mean, I suppose they. Ha- I mean, I suppose in the past, no. you know, particularly when they played Boxing Day, you've been talking so the twenty. Yeah, but that's plus, different. That's you know. the same everywhere, isn't it? Abraham and Neath, they have a massive crowd, etc. It's just Boxing Day. People are not really going for the rugby, are they? A lot of them, they going for the for the lash. I suppose I would, what I'd say is when the merger talks were on, you were certainly getting enough people coming out saying how much it would mean to them if it went, and how much it yeah, hurt. But how many of those people really turn up? Well, I suppose we've always have this, don't we? There's a hardcore. There's a hardcore of people who go and watch regional rugby in hardcore Wales. Fantastic fans. You know, we've probably got twenty, twenty-five thousand 25,000 people who go week in, week out to watch the regions. Um, as always, the difficulty is trying to build that audience up to a greater le- level. And I suppose when we're talking about a season where we've got two teams scrabbling to get through the back doors, the one team in the Champions Cup is probably not surprising the support has dwindled a bit. So if it was Leinster, Munster, same scenario, or Ulster, Munster, whatever, how big a crowd would they get? Much bigger. They've got, well, why? They've built up, well, Leinster for a start, built up a huge core support. They've got over 14,000 season ticket holders. Success generates more success and, and it generates crowds. Um, if you look at Leinster, the number of fans they took to St James's Park last weekend. Um, Munster again. If you're consistently competing at the top end of uh, the, for the trophies in Europe and domestically, you're going to build support. That's what we unfortunately we just don't do it. Look, we look, just sc- don't have the so success. How many people scars took the Leicester for Heineken Cup semi final? Two thousand seven. And, 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 and more recent matches. and more recently in Ireland they took a huge number when yeah. they got to the But the trouble is we just don't get enough success to sustain and generate those big crowds. And it's a chicken and egg thing, isn't it? Because how do you get more how do you generate more money out of Welsh rugby? You build the crowds, you build success, but how does success come? You need the money in the first place and everyone knows where we are financially at the minute. It's very difficult. I, I don't profess to have an easy answer to it. Absolutely. I suppose it's a, it's a seven day turnaround, isn't it, for ticket sales and when it's not yeah, but people it's, it's already not, knew they were going to be playing at some stage. Yeah, it's not it's, that bad. But is it's it? not. It's not a. It's not like. It's not like when Those football it's not, fans they'd be there. It's not like when the Scarlets won their Pro Twelve semi final, and then yeah. there's a seven day turnaround. There's a final to come after it. It's. I, I do take your point though. It's, I, you know, to be honest, with you, I'm finding more people are talking to me about the Leslie uh, Pontypool game yeah. on Friday. I don't know why it is that perhaps because the Premiership has kept on going and it's a continuation of that. You had the game with Bridget and Pontypool last week. You went to Ben. You know, it was a good, you know, a real occasion. The Derek King very emotional and it's carried on from that. Whereas there's been this break in the Pro 14. People have kind of forgotten about regional yeah. rugby. It did somehow need. I mean, some kind of really big push. Some maybe joint media event. Exactly. You know, and that hasn't really happened, does it? No, you need a massive media push by the Ospreys and 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 the, and the Scarlets and perhaps the Pro Fourteen, but the, the Pro Fourteen organ, uh, Pro Fourteen as a body, they really interest in this playoff. Guess they all be going to the uh, semi-finals this weekend. The big wigs. So it, it was really, I think, it was up to the Ospreys and Scarlets to give this a massive push. You know, why down the other joint press conference in Swansea or in Ethy or in both? Players out there flogging tickets and all of that. Uh, the, the big focus, the big focus yesterday turned out to be the Dragons with Dean Ryan coming on board. So they, in a yeah. way, they've they've been kind of it's been a bit of a size issue. I know they've got a couple of days left. You know, 
we'll obviously be reporting on it. We're talking about it now, and you'd hope there'd be a walk up and encourage. But it has been, yeah, it has been a little bit out of sight, out of mind, doesn't it? Yeah, tell you what, um, Ben. So let me ask you, who's going to win it? Are we doing predictions okay. now? Are we? Oh, well, do you want? We're doing later then. Do yours now. We can do ours at the end. <laughs> Do them later, Ben. Um, finish it. Finish. You can have a nice long thing about it now. I'll, I'll say. I'll, you, I'll tell you now. I think. I think the Ospreys. Scarlets have only won one of the last four games. Was it? They beat Zebra at home, but the other three they lost. So, momentum's uh, momentum's probably with the Ospreys. So, what to finish on the Scarlets Ospreys? We'll get the views of uh, Richie Reese, former Cardiff Blues and Wales scrum half. Uh, Richie Reese will be part of the Premier Sport team for its live coverage of the Liberty Stadium. Uh, the big Pro 14 Champions Cup playoff this Saturday between the Ospreys and Scarlets. Uh, you can tune in from 7.15 on Premier Sport 1 for the inside track and analysis from Premier Sports lineup with Ross Harries, Lauren Jenkins, Eddie Butler, Sean Holly and Richie Reese. Here's what Richie had to say about the Scarlets Ospreys, uh, plus a little bit more. Right, uh, so yeah, Richie, uh, welcome uh, to the podcast. Podcast. First of all, uh, how are you doing? Yeah, all is well, mate. All is well. Busy man at the moment. Just uh, tying up a few end-of-season reviews and things. And uh, family life, but all is well, mate. So, uh, how have you found uh, the season, obviously, working as a transition coach at the Cardiff Blues? How's that been? Yeah, good. I did something uh, very similar, probably uh, a little bit more with the seniors last year and my four five years into coaching since I retired. So, um, yeah, it's going well, mate. I'm seeing decent progressions, enjoying myself and... Um, that's uh, that's all I can ask, really. And hopefully, just keep getting better. So, what, what does the uh, the day to day job sort of involve there then? Oh, so um, there's a, an early morning session with probably your younger academy lads, those between probably between seventeen and twenty three, um, and then day to day is a lot of individual development sort of stuff. Um, also, I do you know the nines with, along with Lloyd Williams, Thomas uh, Thomas Williams, Dane Blacker, Lewis Jones. Uh, and then just specific needs and they'll say we're playing Connacht for example on the weekend I'd, prep, I'd probably prep a side as, uh, as Connacht with a few of their plays both in attack and defence then to run against uh, the senior team so uh, it works quite well mate, cause it probably gives me a little bit more insight with me analysing opposition more than probably anyone else uh, in the building and then particularly trying to uh, relate that back to the commentary stuff I think it works quite well uh, at the moment so uh, as long as I'm doing the role I do, I think um, the company stuff's go, going pretty well. But if I step up, whether that be sooner rather than later or in 10 years' time, then um, I'll have to reassess whether I continue to uh, marry the pair up, you know? So, talk, talking about the analysis there, was was that always something that you were quite interested in as a player? Or? Uh, yes, you know, it's a part of the game I really enjoy. Uh, I don't think it's any secret that uh, I watch a lot of rugby and... Uh, I enjoy picking things off both technically and tactically and maybe where teams can be exposed or where they're particularly strong what to stay away from. So, um, so yeah, I'll just spend the next uh, day or two I'll pull some footage from both uh, the Ospreys and the Scarlets last few games and have a look at trends, both uh, you know on the field and off the field with regards to stats or, or just tactics effectively, how they play against certain defences or how they try and you know attack certain areas of the field at the back. Is the backfield high, for example? Is there plenty of kicking space there, or all these sorts of things, mate? So it's just about trying to marry it up and giving, uh, giving probably the best insight from um, a commentary angle and from a coaching angle. It's just how can you best prepare to execute a win against your opposition? So when you're sort of analysing teams, do you sort of when you start the analysis, do you sort of go in 
to it with a sort of a rough idea of, of what teams do what, what, are you, what are you looking for are you looking for certain patterns or a little sort of maybe yeah there's key, key themes particularly this end of the, this time of the year and especially if a side is uh, you know are very stable within their coaching and their player group then there's going to be you know very little difference so you know you just try and pick key themes out and you have uh, you have key indicators in your mind from whether that be a season before or just their last six games and um and it's how how far you go back to probably try and pull a few things apart like scarlet's play in a particular way as do the ospreys and um you know the stats tell that story and then uh, it's about you just trying to uh, get the most out of that really you touched upon it there, obviously, it's the Scarlets uh, against the Ospreys uh, this weekend. Um, I imagine you've been doing your homework, tactically. Uh, yeah, well, I, we're quite lucky, really. Um, you know, the Blues played them just the other week, and I was on commentary for the Dragon Scarlets game. So, um, you know, you watch the game in, de- in both games in detail, and then probably take the previous two or three games into account as well. And... Um, and yeah, just try and uh, pull a bit of detail around there that you can hopefully give the viewer or, or the player or the coach. Obviously, we don't know what the teams are yet, but how, how, where do you sort of see the, the sort of the key sort of tactical battles in this one? Uh, it's it's an interesting one. So the Ospreys they kick the ball more like, and I worked with Matt Sherratt, who's the backs coach. He's one of the best coaches I've come across, whether that be a player or a coach, and tactically superb. Um, and he's implemented a game plan that suits the players that they've got there at the Ospreys. You know, they've got, you know, they've got some kickers all over the park. It's a huge strength of Alec Davis's game. It's a huge strength of Luke Price, Sam Davis, Dan Evans. They're all kickers of the ball. So it's no secret that they kick the ball more than anyone else in uh, in the league. And the Scarlets play probably they they love unstructure when they've lost John Barkley when they lost Tug Burn obviously through the injury of of Shingler we haven't seen much of him so they probably haven't had the effectiveness at the at the contact area this year relates to turnover and they live off turnover ball you know the likes of Johnny McNichol the likes of Gareth Davis the likes of Hadley Parks these are the sort of guys that live off unstructured defensive setups so when they had John Barkley Tug Burn that very much played into their hands but um you know they probably struggled against the Dragons, particularly in the second half. They were in full control of that game at halftime. But um, you know, did they change then their kicking setup? You know, they, they kicked a lot of ball in that second half on the field to Jordan Williams. And if you know, if there's probably one guy you don't kick loosely to is Jordan Williams or Matthew Morgan, for example, because that's the strength of their game. But um, it's just how you manipulate things around that. And I'm sure the Ospreys and I'm sure the Scarlets they've they've got plenty of quality in both coaching setups. Um, we'll look be looking to pull uh, pull each other's game apart and try and uh, really show what they've been working on in the week. Is, is that maybe the fact that Scarlet sort of kicked so much in that second half? Is, is that a product of, of the fact that maybe teams are starting to work them out defensively? They, they, they seem to sort of, they don't look as cohesive on, on several repeat phases maybe. You say that they sort of strike off transitions but repeat phases seem to be something that maybe they struggle with a bit more. Is that maybe... Yeah. Yeah, and it does, but like so the Scarlets, for the last probably two and a half, three years, they've set, they've probably focused, for me, watching the Scarlets, analyzing the Scarlets for the first three phases, they've they've had to the players, the likes of your James Davis, your Hadley Parks, your John Davis, your, your Shingler, your Jake Ball, these are your big physical ball cards, you focus on your first three phases, and then after that, everything gets a little bit easier, you know, you get game line, you get speed of ball, those first three phases, 
then uh, that suits the way the Scouts play. But because of the injuries that they've had, they simply haven't been able to do that. With Jake Ball coming back this weekend, um, maybe they can utilise him a little bit better off um, off starter play or as a new second phase carrier. But, um, you know, they've still got the likes of Ken Owens. Let's forget about that. He was so, you know, such an aggressive, dynamic ball carrier himself. But it's how then they utilise uh, the likes of Jonathan Davis and, and Hardly Parks around this. You know, would it be better just to go a straight 9-12 off a line-out just to probably limit the chance of error and get your best ball carrier on the ball as soon as possible? Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting battle, isn't it? Yes, uh, it's a huge game. I'm really looking forward to, uh, forward to it. You know, you look at particular matchups all over the park. Got the likes of Owen Watkins, John Davis, um, Hadley Parks, it's Ali Davis, Gareth Davis. So there's there's combinations everywhere. Particularly with Jake Ball coming back. If there's an area of the game that the Ospreys got ridiculous strength and depth, it's a second row with Alan Wynn, Brad, and Adam Beard. So um, it's just how both teams effectively set themselves up. Technically and tactically, to get the victory. I suppose, obviously, only one team can qualify for the Champions Cup. Though, is is that maybe a, a bit of a concern for Welsh rugby that there's there's only going to be one Welsh team in the top tier next year? Uh, I do. The difficulty is you you can only be judged. You know, it's a season long process. So, at the, the ultimately the end of the season, the best teams will qualify because they would have won more games than they've lost. And if the Scarlets don't qualify, you know they wouldn't have. It'd be the first time they haven't qualified for since you know 2004, 2003, I think it was. So you know that's a long time. So I'm sure they'll be uh, really uh, up for this one. But uh, you know, especially when there's so many Welsh players who've been named in the Welsh training squad. You know, there's 23 players between the two teams. Uh, they're always tight games over the last four games. Uh, for meetings between these two sides, uh, you know the greatest um, combined total of points difference is only 14 points between the four games. So that tells a story of how tight they're going to be, how important probably your discipline is going to be. A breakdown with, you know, players like your Reese Patchell or Dan Jones or Sam Davis or Luke Bryce, with the guys with the kicking record of these guys and the accuracy of them, and you know, and even Lee Halfpenny, you can't. Uh, cannot afford to be indisciplined in such uh, tight games how, how, how did you sort of find playing in these these derbies as a player yeah I enjoyed it I thought like, you know, these are the sort of games the derbies when it's such a such a big outcome on this one yes you know your players inside out say you're playing against Garth Davis for example you know what Garth Davis is going to do if he's looking to challenge that third defender you'd be looking at his turn he's throwing that uh, he's throwing that dummy. He's going through the through the hole. So you know probably more about the opposition you're playing on Saturday than you do any other any other players. You know whether that be with Wales or previously. A lot of these guys have have come from the same academy systems and watched and trained against and played against each other numerous numerous occasions. So it's um, it's definitely going to be a tight affair and uh, it's going to be a very interesting eighty minutes. Does um obviously you, when you get sort of mid-season Welsh derbies, you know you, you you get sort of international teammates clashing and maybe sort of those because you're competing for the Wales jersey, those that that sort of seeps down into the derbies. But th- does that come into it with this one just because there's a bigger prize at the end of it, which is the Champions Cup place, or, or, is, or is that sort of Welsh jersey mentality still there as well? 
Yes, they're there from a club from a regional level. You, you know, the part. There's no secret. The parts of the season where you really want to be firing all cylinders. You want to get your best players on the field. You want that cohesion between units, between positions, and between players. It's Europe. It's Christmas, New Year, and then hopefully the end of the season where you are in contention for playoffs, medals, trophies. So you know you try and time things from from a training angle, how you've set that up timetable-wise. But, um, yeah, and it's every time you play in a derby, like anyone will tell you, that uh, they're the guys you really want to shine on. Every, you know, the whole of Welsh rugby is going to be watching on, on Saturday evening. So um, why not uh, why not look to shine then and really put your hand up for that uh, starting Welsh spot? OK, um, fi- final couple of questions. Uh, how, how do you find the punditry then, Richie? Good, I enjoy it, mate. Uh, as we touched on earlier, it's um, it's something I enjoy simply because I do I do watch a lot of rugby, and uh, you know you try and get your personality and the enjoyment, how much you're enjoying it across to the viewer. But as I said, depend. You know, as long as I'm in the role I'm in now, I you know I'd like to carry on doing it. But obviously, the further you go up the coaching tree, or the further I suppose you can, you know, you even go up the commentary tree, uh, it's going to be a come a point, I think, and we're probably going to have to choose one or the other. But uh, you cross that bridge when you come to it. But yeah, something I definitely enjoy, mate. And uh, hopefully that uh, the Premier Sport viewers do too. How, how have you found, because you're not long out of the game, how have you found sort of speaking about a lot of players that you've probably played with? How, how have you sort of found that? Uh, yeah, not too bad. I, you know, everyone watches the game. Everyone's got their own opinion. So people will have different opinions. But I don't. what you can't really do is... A, um, probably try and pull a wall over the viewer's eyes if someone's having a bad game then they're having a bad game and they'd probably be the first to recognise that but also what you don't want to do is be overly negative you know and um, you know the viewer they're paying they, or they're coming to see this uh, whatever game it may be and they want the enjoyment factor they want the excitement factor out of it so uh, how you get that across is uh, is key for me, and that's what I want to listen. That's what I love listening to as a viewer. I particularly like uh, the likes of Justin Marshall. You know some of the UFC commentators, how engaged they are in in the game, in the process, in the event. And uh, if you can try and get that across, I think that makes a hell of a lot of difference. Okay, uh, one final question. Um, what's your prediction then for Saturday night? And I'm sure Ross will ask you. On the night when when you know the teams and you can be a bit more sort of certain, but what about a tentative prediction for now? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it goes down to um, you know some selections. Are there going to be some injuries in either camp, or is everyone back fit? Final Sunday's. But you look at momentum. Momentum's a massive thing uh, in sport, and the uh, Ospreys have finished the season particularly well, uh, and the Scarlets have won only one of their last four I think it is and it was the, when they hammered Zebra yeah. it was their last one back in April uh, beginning of April so if you're going on momentum and you know they've got some key players back the Ospreys Scarlets have got some injuries you know they're missing the likes of you know Shingler again and you know whoever um, and whoever else but uh, so if I was a betting man which I'm not then I'm, uh, I'd probably just about go for go for the Ospreys but you know they're you know, we've already touched on how tight these games are so we see how it plays out. Absolutely. Uh, brilliant stuff. Uh, cheers for joining us on the podcast, Richie, and all the best uh, for Saturday. No worries. Cheers, mate. Right, so yeah, that's, where, that's what Richie had to say. Um, plenty of expert analysis there. So interesting stuff. It's quite telling that Richie was always interested in the analysis as a player. 
Um, good pundit, very good pundit. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, from one playoff game to another, uh, we touched upon it briefly before, that's mm. Pontypool versus Llanetli. Um It was an interesting scenario last weekend where we had one match that decided the fate of three teams at the bottom of the table. Um, and now one of those teams has got to play again and they're going to play Pontypool. Yeah, I mean, it's, it has gri- gripped the imagination there. And, it, and unlike the other game, it will be on terrestrial television. There'll be quite a few people watching it. I know they're interested in it. There'll be... A, a number of bus loads, for eight bus loads or so, of people going down. I think they've arranged free bus travel, fair play to them, Ponapool. I mean, I went down yesterday to see um, the men behind the, the, the Ponapool club, really. Um, owner Peter Jeffries, his son Ben, as chief executive, and the coach Leighton Jones. And we, we sat around for an hour chatting and talked a lot about where the club has been and where it's come from, you know. And, it, and people, perhaps not everyone, would be aware that sort of a 2012, the club was, was on the brink. It was on the brink of, of going under. They'd. Um, been involved in a court case with the Welsh Rugby Union of the demotion from the Premiership, lost that court case, were left with huge legal fees, and they were really at a point where it looked like they'd go out of business. Peter Jeffries, who used to watch the, the, the club from when he was a youngster in the 60s, came in, um, saved the day, sort of paid off the legal fees, uh, and actually took over the running of the club very soon. And um, it's been a gradual process where they first stabilised, then improved, and um, over the last three years, They've been virtually unbeatable because obviously the Premiership has been ring-fenced. There was no promotion, so they found themselves in the Championship for three years. And they've won 65 out of 66 games in there. Got some you know, big cup wins over the likes of Tlenetli, um, Cardiff and Cross Keys and Bridge End. So they've not really known much failure. Not, they've not really known what it's like to lose much. But this weekend now, absolute massive they game. They lose to Bridge in the cup early in the season. Well, I think oh. they no. They went out to Merthyr. They went to Merthyr. Yeah, Merthyr. They, they, yeah. Beat they beat. They beat. They beat. It was a sending off. So, so massive games from this weekend up against Lethley. And of course, and the interesting thing is, what kind of Lethley team will be on the field? Uh well, I don't think it's going to be. They're not going to have many ringers in. If you like, fast right word to use. Many people in from the uh, you know, like in the horse racing world or the dog world, they're not going to. Have, I don't think they're going to have many Scarlet players because it, not enough of them have played the required number of games. And they're going to game plus, themselves next year. Scarlet's got this game themselves. Uh, you know, they wanted uh, Leinster to win last weekend, which would have helped the RSC because perhaps some more players would be available. But Scarlet's themselves got so many injuries, so some boys who might have played in this game could be on bench duty for the Scarlets. So my understanding is it's going to be pretty much the Lanethi team has largely played this uh, this season. Here's a question for you, because I, mean, I know the rule is that um, basically if any player, any regional player who was registered with Lanethi um, club prior to the January cutoff, they're eligible. That's, that's fine, and I think I know a fair few sort of academy boys were were in that situation, mm-hmm. and also if um, any uh, regional player who has. Um, Played five games in the league this season. They can choose four of those. They can have four, you know, unregistered players who, who fulfil that qualification. But would there be anything stopping, for example, Flintley utilising players from other clubs in their well, area, like Llandovery like and Carmarthen? I mean, because essentially they're kind of feeder clubs of Scarlet. That's an interesting one to see, it is. isn't it? Because if that rule, what you just said about how many times you've played in the league, that's not specific to which team, is it? No. So based on that, you would have thought, yeah, they could play those. Guys, it'll be because they do, don't it? The scouts do, in fairness, yeah. they do spread players around well, the region, and they do, despite the people <coughs> criticizing the Welsh Premiership. They do, the scouts have over the years uh, really used it well. The Premiership to develop players, 
I mean, the interesting thing is that Lashley find himself in this plight. I think part yeah. of it was this season because the Scarlets had so many injury problems. Mm. They were probably drawing on academy players and younger players yeah. and squad players who yeah. might have been available to Lashley. And they they found themselves right in the crisis and looked like at one point they were going to you know look odds on for automatic uh, relegation. They they improved over the second half of the season, but they now find themselves in this game. I asked Leighton Jones, Pool coach, you know what what his thoughts were about what he's likely to encounter in terms of the technical side. He said at the end of the day, Simon, we can't can't worry about it. We've got our side. We're sticking with the side we've got. Whatever turns up on the other side of the pitch, we're going to take it on and give it our best shot. It's a massive game for them. Ma- you know, and these two clubs have massive games over the years, mind in the old days. You know, cup and league and what have you. Mm-hmm. I remember coming to Welsh Cup final when uh, they beat them. I think it was in nineteen ninety one. Ninety one was it? Yeah. yeah. Ian and, Jones and uh, the wing. Ian Jones, yeah. I was on a space cadet. <laughs> uh, a brilliant, he scored brilliant. He scored the try. Brilliant try. Brilliant run out. They ran right. You know, they day. ran right yeah. in the second half. Um, yeah, you know what occasion I was Salah crowd, I believe, if I remember rightly. You think of the players who played for these two clubs. Yeah, you, yeah. Know, you know, they talk about front row. Pontypool front row. You've got Terry Cobner. That, you know, you've got you know people. David Bishop. David Bishop, one of the greats. Ray Gossick, know, Jeff uh, Squire, and, uh, and and then uh, the Lethley club side as well. Coach. I mean, obviously things have changed, and these are now the kind of second tier, the semi-pro tier of Welsh rugby. But it will mean a huge amount to Pontypool. See, what, what happened in a, used to happen like in that game was that uh, when, uh, when Pontypool was in their heyday, they played Lanesley in, in the unofficial league or the Western Mill Championship table. And, and Pontypool generally had a better, better room up front. But when it came to a one-off cup clash, Lanesley had this habit of being able to raise their game up front for that one-off cup clash mm. and coming out on top. Now, will that be the similar thing this weekend? Because Pontypool will try and do a number on Lanesley up front. Will Lanethys have the sprightly backs that can do a bit of damage? Well, especially if you look at Ponapool, I mean, the semi-pro players. Um, well, they're, paid players, by the way. They're, they're, you know, a heavy pack of forwards, a strong pack of forwards. If it's a warm day on, on Friday, you know, fast track. And if you have got some of the younger academy players who are professional players yeah. from the Scarlets playing, that could be a factor. I mean, it's fascinating. There's going to be huge... Forecast is really not. There's going to be huge... Well, that, suit, that would suit Pula, wouldn't it? <laughs> Um, they're going to have huge support down there, and it's massive for them because there's people there who still have sort of you know, you know feelings about when the fact they were demoted back in those days, and have seen the way the club has come on. You going along again, Ben? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. yeah I hope they fix that all in the yeah. Remember the all in the roof for the I standard the athletic uh, ground just near the press above the press box, and the water's come dripping down. I, that was years ago, mine in the good old days. I imagine they fixed it now, Ben, so you can stay uh, dry. Take a coat, or just in case. You can see the magnitude of the game, and Nigel Owens is refereeing it. Mm. Yeah. It's going to be a big one live on television. And, and do you know what? Ponypool historically never had a great record at Aber Aber. Tell that I mean, what they what what they did say to me yesterday was whatever happens, they can have the same squad for next season. They've made their squad announcement, recruitment. They've got it in place for next season. I mean, Peter Jeffries, you have to say what he's done for that club. You know, saved them. He and save he, them. He's put over well over a million pounds into into it. And I, I asked him, you know, why did you do that? It's the old thing, isn't it? You only make a, a you know a small fortune in Welsh rugby by starting with a very big one. And he said, yeah, you know, um, but it's manageable. It's it's not just a hobby because we take it seriously. But he says I love it. We we've got a huge amount of it. I got a huge amount watching them over the years, and it matters an awful amount. And the other thing they feel is they're putting a legacy back of a kind of an iconic club reestablished. This, this plans to redevelop the ground. So I think whatever happens to them, they will carry on with their path. The interesting thing, if Lethley go down, what does that mean? You know, because 
Yeah. That'd be the first occasion where one of the you know directly related to the, the regions. I mean, you've got Cardiff, obviously, and mm. you've got Newport, which used to be the Newport and Dragon. So I don't know. Well, where would that leave Fletley? Because would there be so many South Scarlet players going there on a feeder basis? I, I don't know. It's interesting to know what kind of future they would have. Well, it is interesting because the cut the twelve teams. You know that uh, in in Gwent, they want to hope they hope that. They, um, Pool go up because they've already lost uh, two teams. Bedwars and uh, Cross Key, so that's not good for the Dragons, is it? To uh, develop with Bargoid in the Bargoid gone down. So yes. three. Yeah, so they just left with uh, Newport and Brill at the moment. Mm. That's funny pool. Well, I mean, that can't you, be any good for them. Yeah, because in terms of the split and the balance, you've got to RGC and North Wales. But then you think about you know from the other four regions, probably two or three sides per region give it a balance. You know, so. Um, but as Stanley Thomas said last week, any factor and. President of Merthyr, as he said, what's the point in cutting in from 16 teams? I cannot see any point whatsoever. Now they've uh, this new competition, these A-, A teams or whatever you want to call them, and this sort of uh, premiership has almost been written off by the WIU as a development uh, tool. So what's the point in uh, cutting the number of clubs and cutting the amount of revenue they're able to arrange by playing uh, more matches? It, it does seem slightly mixed message to me because on the one hand we're being told it's no longer a key development here and then you're still seeing a lot of regional players going to play for the premiership clubs once the the um, A team system is well, over. Well, the player, you know, so I think in these I, I think it needs to be a clear separation, you know. We're seeing moving towards the, the premiership being top top of the community club game. Well that's fine. Let it do what it wants on its own, as you say, probably sixteen teams. And then have a full season long A League. But I suppose that's the problem, isn't it? It's difficult yeah, to do that in a, difficult to do that in a World Cup. I mean and you've got the Irish teams I think would be willing to play probably more fixtures make it a home and away league so you could increase that yeah, that will cost them it travel costs well, well talking about travel costs you've also got the fact that next season is going to be the Welsh set top six in the Welsh Premiership playing the Scottish well, Super yeah. Six sides what's the point of that why are you doing the A teams playing that well yeah, I think the reason the A teams aren't playing yeah. them is because they're semi-pro mm. teams up in Scotland and in Scotland these Super Six teams have been set up you know there's a lot of uh, you know um, there's a lot of people up there not happy with no Glasgow that, team right? I mean, to me, it'd be much more sensible for Scotland to follow the, follow the route of Wales and Ireland and set up Glasgow A and Edinburgh A. Yeah. So you could have had a fully blown uh, Celtic A League playing throughout the season. Those players yeah. then would be able to focus on Do you that. Know I, wouldn't, I would have that. Uh, I would go along that route, but I would play either home or away and half the amount of fixtures. Because I still think it's important to have a club competition bolstered by pro players at some stage in the season but I just think that you've got to decide it the guys coming but then you've got to decide anew, what is it is it part of the development structure where young pros play or isn't it I think just at the moment and I think this was Stan was saying and so a lot of people have said it, there's a lack of clarity about what the function and purpose of the premiership is well perhaps the WIU will come in here and explain to us well, you spoke to Gary and John about that very subject but didn't you yeah and he asked almost many questions well, he actually asked more questions than I did what do you mean well, if you read the article, there's a lot of question marks in it with Gary's quotes because he, he raised a lot of questions himself. Rhetorical. Yeah, yeah, he was asking quite is it and all that, and he, he reckoned some people thought the Welsh Premiership was great. Well, I, I, I will say I've really enjoyed the Premiership yeah. this yeah, year. I Friday night, anyway, Friday night, I found myself watching a lot of the games. Yeah. You know, because you know, there's clearly these guys are together all season long. It means a lot to them. It means a lot to the fans as well. And, you know, there's some good rugby played there. Clearly, you know, in terms of the physicality and perhaps the fitness levels, it's, it's a bit shy of what you get to the, the, the pro level. But in terms of endeavour and some of the skill, I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Saturday was a... Um, you, won't, you won't see many sporting occasions like that where you've got three teams relying on one game. And it's probably, it's probably worth the mention 
for Derek King, isn't it? Just well, Andy and I have dealt with him for years. I mean, you know, probably 30 years. Yeah. Um, he's been, I think, chairman of the Bridgend for 25, 26 years. You know, one of the kindest, nicest men oh, I've yes, ever dealt with in Welsh rugby. I remember going to Bridgend, my very first game covering the... Uh, for the Echo, for the fo- football Echo, before you were born then. And it was actually, ironically, Pontypool with the team travelling to the brewery field. And I didn't know uh, anything, really. I was completely wet behind the ears. I hadn't had the life explained to me by Andy at that point. <laughs> and uh, the profession. And I remember going there, like, very nervous. And this man came up to me, looking after me all day long, sit by me, so I'll show you, you know, everything. I'll explain who everyone is. And that was Derek King. And a friend from that day on, Lovely, lovely man. Very sad. Very, and the way he's fought cancer, you know, over the last three years, um, absolutely heroic. And the fact that every, virtually every Big Gen player, I think, rang him up in the week, said, we're going to do it for you, uh, Derek, and they did. Yeah, so God fantastic. bless you, Derek. Yeah. yeah, top man. Yeah, Derek. Remember, remember the story. Remember when they had uh, they employed a New Zealanders coach, John Phillips, who, who Todd Blackadder uh, told me uh, when I raised it, oh, do you know John Phillips? And he said, oh, puncher. <laughs> and he called him puncher because uh, at Canterbury, Phillips had coached Blackadder, went on to be All Blacks uh, captain, is now uh, still Bath coach, is he? Yeah, yeah. He and he said, oh, I called him puncher because he's going around the changing room punching players. So puncher didn't last that long at Bridge End because, lost funny the enough, they got the Gan difference. Yeah. The game, I, I was I covering that. Yeah, yeah. Both, yeah. I, uh, uh, up the Gan, they lost up their famous defeat. So uh, Puncher got sacked, I think he got sacked on uh, Christmas Eve, but of course he was over here. And this is shows the gentleman Derek King is, because I rung Derek King up, I got wind of this that he'd been sacked. So I rung Derek up on Christmas Day morning, and he said, and even though Pretender sacked him and Derek was their chairman, Puncher was in Derek's house for Christmas dinner. And he said, Derek said to me, oh, do you want a word with him? <laughs> <laughs> so he put him on the phone. You know, what a great father, what a gentleman. I'll always remember that game at the Garn because um, yeah. it was one of the great Welsh Cup upsets. And uh, I remember saying to Andy on the Friday, oh, I'm going up to uh, Garn de Faith. He said, You're taking a car? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're warning me about where I should be parking it up there. That's right, because uh, I turned up there and we were talking about Ponypool earlier to the, you know, Ray Prosser, Ponypool, great coach, one of the hardest man, Ben Randall. When I got up there, he was there with Ivor Taylor, who was in the Monmouthshire team which beat the All Blacks, and the Newport, was it? Oh, yes, Mark Taylor's father. And they said to me, Andy, how did you travel here? And I said, by car. And these two are men. they said, you've come by car. And I said, yes. They said, where have you parked your car? And I said, I said, oh, over there, down there. They said, you won't have any wheels on it afterwards. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, fortunately, it was just a myth, and the car was fine. <laughs> and we had a brilliant day up there. But that was the reputation of the Garn at the time. The original aunties in the Garn, and that is true because there were court cases and all. It was one of the also. <laughs> is that, is that right, Simon? It, it was where you told me. Yeah, it is also one of the coldest days I can remember covering a game of rugby because a big slope. Didn't the ball disappear over the yeah, edge? Yeah, the ball disappears <laughs> over the edge at the Garn on the one touch line. It's, it's down like under a meter blanket. That's <laughs> gone. I covered a game up there once. Monmouthshire and the truck went in the twenties against. Uh, or was it Pembrokeshire? And it was that windy. The stanchions of the floodlights were bending. Yeah. And uh, I tell you, Andy Allen played in that game. And um, the ball, all the game was over that side. I had to go over that side. And the ball, they had to keep going and get balls because they kept uh, going down the banking. Two players got sent off. One of them was um, Ian McKim, played for Newport, number eight. Mm. And uh, the fight carried on in the changing room. On the changing room in the showers. 
afterwards, him and the guy who got sent off in the opposition were fighting in the uh, showers. Yeah, John Phillips, yeah. I mean, John Phillips was a character, he, he certainly was. It's interesting when you look back at some of the people who were involved in Welsh rugby back then, you know, some huge, huge characters, you know. Yeah. But of course, those you know, those cup games, you know, as the, the playoff this weekend with, with Netley and Portable, they were massive events, weren't they? Massive events for the local clubs. And uh, I do sense this year that you know there is perhaps this coincided with the regions under I mean, this last season. There has been a real, res- real resurgence and in interest yeah. in you know club rugby, and um, yeah, it's good. It's good for the Premiership, and uh, hoping there's going to be a cracking game on Friday. Yeah, talking of characters, and the Dragons just a point you want. Well, now, yeah, now um, Dean Ryan. Now we've known for a week or so that he was very much the favourite. They've been talking about Graham Rountree, uh, Rob Howley, but I think it is you know over a week or so now we've kind of uh, been hearing increasing rumours that it was going to be Ryan, and that was confirmed um, on Tuesday. I think Andy, you sort of confirmed the story yourself the night before, and uh, so we were invited along to the press conference. David Buttress, the, the executive chairman, as he's called now of, of the Dragons, and uh, Dean Ryan were there. Um, yeah, interesting. Um, first of all, the thing that struck me is that it's a very wide, encompassing role he's got, all of rugby and also yeah. on the board. Um, I remember so sort of going to a couple of matches where he's involved in press conference. Not didn't have that clear a recollection of him. So you go there with a kind of preconceived preconception of what the guy's life. So I asked him, you know, the view of you, Dean, is that uh, you're uh, quite a sort of uh, straight talking, no nonsense, ex-military man. How do you view that? I had a bit of a withering stare. I, I got the, the thousand miles stare off him, and he said, "Oh, I was in the army when I was 16, and you're still dragging it up." So. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting experience. You got a little insight into the fact that he's, uh, you know, he doesn't mess about, I think, Andy, that's the phrase I would use for him. doesn't mess about. And it'd be some interesting times ahead for the Dragons players. It certainly was. I think this journalist had been in touch with me the day before and said, you, can have some, you guys will have some fun with Dean Ryan tomorrow, they said, because uh, um, the, the guy said, oh, he'd be using words like five years, five-year plan and all. And, and did they come out, Simon? There was quite a lot of references to it's not about now, it's about the future and we have to look at a year and a couple of years down the line. A lot of talk about processes. Um, I think it's understandable what he's saying. Look, he's walking in there. He's probably not even starting for a few weeks, I don't think. Yeah. He's walking in there. There's lots of things have been tried with the Dragons and haven't really worked. And I, he, he tried to be saying, if we just go in and try and do everything like, you know, has been done before, you know, you're not going to achieve it. So we've got, to, we've got to really look at it. And he said, the biggest thing I've got to do is listen and listen to the players, listen to everyone this year and find out what is the best way forward, not for six months, not, not for well, a year. To get a top outside off. You know, That's oh, the best way forward. But I mean, that was the point he's making. It's it's not just about... He said you, you don't make many great business decisions in rugby in May and June. He said it's difficult. You're not going to bring many people in. So his focus is clearly on putting in a structure that he feels will be a long-term one. And in fairness, if you look at his record, he, does, he has tended to stay quite long in place. I think he was about nine years at Gloucester, wasn't he? Is it how long? Uh, quite, quite a lengthy long. stay. He started well, all right, it fell apart was the end. Yeah, he was nine years altogether because he started off as... Yeah, it's something else. Yeah, yeah. So, we, we have to wait and see what he's going to be like. You know. I know, with Worcester and Bristol, they both up and down, but of course they're those type of clubs anyway. Mm. So... Uh, yeah, so it's uh, going to be interesting uh, time for the Dragons. Uh, you know, I think if they had an on-pitch leader, Neil Jenkins type, Paul Turner type, best going outside half I've seen in my lifetime, or, uh, or a Dan Bigger type, you know, that, that uh, team would be transformed. Overnight, just, just don't forget, they had six players, record six players in the world squad, a beat uh, Mashley squad, a beat Tonga uh, last November, and uh, they've got eight players in the current Wales under-20 squad 
uh, or going to the World Cup in Argentina it would have been nine if Dean Basham wasn't injured. So that says to me they've got some outstanding prospects coming through and the Dragons need someone to manage them, but they need an on-field uh, tactician and leader who can pull them up by their butt, like this is, and yeah. steer them in the right direction. I mean, you can will Sam Davis, if he goes there, yeah. would he would he be able to do that? You can you can certainly see why Dragons you know, fans have heard a lot, and they or oh, a five-year plan, you know, a new fresh start. So why should they believe this? Times, you know, not just from Dean Ryan, but how many times we were down in rugby know, these it, days? It's very so difficult. Try and keep, you know, that. Uh, if they wanted to do all that and all the power they give him, like I said all along, and I can see even more reason now, should have got Mike Ruddick to do that job. Gwent man, who instantly would have got a whole of Gwent on side. Now Dean Ryan's going to have to win over Gwent. But Mike Ruddock is standing, he's a Gwent man for North Gwent, he's standing in the game, not generally I guess, but certainly in Gwent, Ruddock there, that would have got people straight on board. Mm. But uh, so, uh, you know, and Ruddock, where's he look like he's going to end up now? It looks like he could be Munster forwards coach and Rob Bowley their backs yeah. coach. Yes. So that shows what they think. I, I asked Ryan as well whether he was ready for this side of it, dealing with the media, back to the old week-in, week-out press conference. He's obviously been in the RFU for three years, you know, not really involved so much in the media side of things, and whether he's ready with the goldfish bowl of Welsh rugby, because it, it can be all-consuming. I mean, what he said was that, you know, he was a long time at Gloucester, and he said in terms of that passion yeah, and that feeling, day, yeah, you, you would get, a, get all that. He said he was in a supermarket one day, and with Gloucester fans coming up to him and asking him what he was questioning what he was putting in his yeah. shopping trolley, yeah. so, you know, you know, Gloucester would have been like as uh, 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 the attention would have been easily comparable to anything you would get in Wales yeah. at uh, that level. But it's interesting, as Dean Ryan's appointed, we hear that Bernard Jackman has got a, a new job in Bective Rangers yes. as well, so he's, he's back yeah, in another one post. Of, one of the, uh, the first Irish club Ruddock uh, coach becoming, uh, before becoming Swansea coach mm. after the Ingoskis. Good to see Bernard back, Simon. He's a nice man, and he was very good with us, very helpful, yes, always yeah, took our phone calls. It just didn't work out, and let's see how Mr. Ryan gets on. Over to you, Dean. Ryan and Jackman, similar type of players. Uh, but, people they both disciplinarians I mean I think Jackman was much more media he was very outgoing well, he was very he? good he was yeah. very good you know I, 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 I would imagine it's going to be quite hard to build a rapport with Ryan I mean Jackman within the matter of weeks he was you know texting you and responding to any yeah. messages and you know willing to help you know willing to give access he was going up every night you know to areas in the Gwent to see people um, it'd be interesting to see what Ryan's approach is yeah. Of course, Ryan on the pitch was a, like John Phillips. Off Robust the pitch, was a real enforcer. Played for wasps. No, me- no messing around with yeah. Dean Ryan on the pitch. Yeah, yeah. So we well, you know, good luck to him. Asked him if he was going to be a tracksuit coach because he was there in his you know very nice suit, um, and he said yeah, he was going to be there. But of course, it's interesting to see what he does in terms of his, his backroom stuff. And um, we presume that Kerry Jones Kerry will be Kerry staying on. What I don't know. He's going to be real. Everything, so you never know. Do you? What about the back side of things? I don't know. Could change, couldn't it? I think you make a good point to say if they could bring in a Sam Davis character, you know, that would give kind of at least a sort of mm. a Don't real. Forget they beat the Scars last time out. Yeah, they did. Exactly, yeah. They did. Um, I mean, I tell you, it's huge potential the Dragons with the players they got. I mean, I think there's bigger things. I had a long chat with David Buttress when he was there at the press conference, and they've got other things off the field which are big, big targets. And the first thing of all is trying to get into private, back into private ownership. I think he summed it up pretty well. He said it doesn't make much sense to have four teams in Wales, and one of them only in, in you know, union ownership, and three in private. So you, you ideally want one thing or the other. And 
and I think he, he is looking to sort of uh, front up uh, a potential buyout of the company and then there are plans yeah, as well it's all based on a ground redevelopment well, if, if ground redevelopment doesn't go ahead it's not a goer it's not seen as a worthwhile project to, to raise money it is uh, there's no point anyone taking over no, the company because it will never make no, money the question is more about might they look to other private investment before private sector before the, you're talking me through what the plans are you know and we've stood in the, in the new stand there the, uh, the main stand Hosp- hospitality uh, boxes at the fa- the club end hotel where the um, cabbage patch and uh, old club house is you know they got to put that plan together and I applaud the plan or mm. their plans and their intentions but it's exactly the same situation in Cardiff Blues Cardiff Farms Park is about redeveloping the ground. Is it going to be cost effective? Slightly so different because of the added. Cardiff Athletic Club aspect. And yeah, I know, but forgetting, leaving aside the Cardiff Athletic Club influence on that, but is that the project at the Cardiff Arms Park with the indoor stadium and all, was that a viable proposition for to make money? And, and it's the same at Roddy Parade. Can they make money from well, the project? Just because you're going to build a hotel and bars and all, don't mean he's going to make money. No, it's interesting. Mr. Butteris said one of the. He said like uh, they closed the they closed the doors on Rodney Parade up in the evening, and that's it. It's finished. You know, not used a huge amount during the week. And then just across the bridge, they can hear the, the well, people the, enjoying yeah. themselves in bars. Well, the, so we said, yeah. why not provide yeah, them with a, a facility yeah, here? Yeah. To that is what, what they got going for. The best thing has happened to, to Rodney Parade. Is there's a new walking bridge, walkway mm. from Austin Friars development, which almost the bridge Friars comes Walk. out by Friars Walk, sorry, and it comes out at uh, Ronnie, it comes out at Ronnie Parade, so it's an easy walk for people, so there's no reason why they can't. It's do very that. close to town centre. So yeah, exactly. So, so there is potential. His argument is like with this plot of land, we have to try and do something with it and make money from yeah. it. And of course, the interesting it's thing big. then is if, if it was to happen prior to private ownership, mm. there's always this question raised about well, if it's a union owned facility a union on ground and then you have this development which makes money should that money all go to the dragons or should it be split four ways going into the PRB pot mm-hmm. now I put this to David and uh, you know we had a long uh, colorful conversation about this and he said uh, you know I said that's I said to him that you know some people might argue that it's WRU ground and therefore it should be fair to be four way split so that's fine if we're going to have complete fairness then we should have the same funding for all four regions so I suppose he's got a good point there yeah. isn't it at the moment the WRU own 90% of the dragons so you know but uh, yeah, yeah. He was very optimistic, very yeah, positive. Yeah. He was meeting somebody that afternoon in terms of furthering the talks about private takeover. He's, he wants to do it. Unless you want to, unless you're prepared to lose money initially, hmm. it's very difficult. As you said earlier in this uh, Peter podcast Jeffries. about making money out of rugby. Yeah, you've blown it down the back hole. Because what assets have you got? WIU on the ground. You only assets to players, and there's no real, well, there's no real transfer market for players. I suppose that's what he's saying that they have to provide like something football, on the site, which stuff. is a, an alternative revenue yeah. source other than yeah. the rugby. Let, let, let's look at look at football. Look at Newport County who play Ronnie Parade. Yeah, and they get got potential, and they got Regan Poole playing there. Who's with Man United? Is it? Yeah, he's on. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. But you you got potential, and if a player makes it in football, this is how the smaller clubs survive to sell them. Yeah, although why was Newport in a Newport County in a playoff final? But yeah, I know. Be interesting to I compare the wages of Newport County players and Newport Dra- Gwen, well, Gwen, think, Dragons players. I think promotion would probably cost them more than it. Yeah, I know. Than it I mean, that's, a worry. that's a worry. Isn't financially. It? Yeah. Because of the cost of wages? Yeah. yeah. Because they have to get like better standard players for like and pay more. And you don't gain that much more from being in that second, from the bottom, no. from the no. League yeah. 1 to so League 2. Seen, seen it happen at Hereford United about 10 years yeah, ago. Don't bring Hereford United. Yeah, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just saying. 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 I'm just
That's my, that's my yeah, life. Was Bill, it, was Bill, the guy Bill. who scored that goal? Ronnie Radford. Ronnie Radford. Radford. Was it against Newcastle? Uh, the other guy was, uh, it was against Newcastle. Ricky George scored the other one. Yes, yeah. what a fantastic day that was. 1972, John Motson in his big parker. Simon and I show no age. What's left in your list? I was drinking the Ronnie Radford bar. Oh, there you go. What's left on Oh, yes, this one of yours. And not from one coach to another, Sean Edwards. Oh, sit down now and listen to this. Here we go. Uh, yeah, Sean uh, Wayne Pivak was uh, Scal's press conference uh, yesterday. Preview their match with uh, the Ospreys, and uh, he said that uh, he thinks Edwards has gone to France uh, for financial reasons. Uh, Sean wasn't too happy about that, so he contacted uh, me this uh, morning to give me a statement uh, saying that uh, Wayne Pivak, you know, doesn't know what his um, took a swipe at Pivak. Pivak doesn't know what his salary is. In France, uh, Sean, my understanding, he was offered a four-year deal in the end by the WIU without a break clause, but they made it after he committed to France. If it, if it, if he hadn't made that commitment to France, I think he would have stayed with Wales. And uh, you know, he, he's unhappy. I think at uh, sort of Pivot saying that, and he said it was um, so he had a go Pivot's. Uh, comments and he pointed out you know he's uh, Sean has given 12 years a lot of service to Wales doing that time Wales won four six uh, nations titles under Warren got them three with Grand Slams uh, most recently this uh, season so I, I think you know perhaps Sean saw that as perhaps being a bit disrespectful what do you think Simon you've read the story it's become a real saga isn't it you know it I think it was always a difficult situation when they decided that they were going to have two plus two contracts for the people they'd employed in Pivak and Stephen yeah. Jones. It's awkward then, I guess, when to be offering something different yeah. to someone who's not the head coach. But then it's complicated by the fact that Sean Edwards has been such a massive part of Wales, you know, over the last twelve years. You know, so I think from what you say, they they eventually because they could see they were on the point of losing him, they they offered him what he wanted. You know, the, what you're saying, the the four years without a break. Um, it would be interesting to know what the financial offer was from Wales and what the offer was in France. You've spoken to, to you know, Sean. Well, Sean, Sean's, you know, he said that, uh, you know, that is uh, about his gone effort for more money. That's wrong. It's become a bit messy, and isn't it? Really, it the whole thing. Yes, yeah. uh, you can understand the two plus two because uh, it might not work out for any of them. So you know, they might want to leave after two years, or the WIU might want to get rid of them. On uh, and of course, you've got the uh, personalities. Um, would Pivak and the others be able to work with Sean? It's, um, a, it's a difficult but it's one. It's a messy and what it was what concerning me now we're going into the World Cup Sean Edwards let's don't forget Sean Edwards still the world's defence coach till yep. after the World Cup um, you know uh, and we've got all this uh, even though Pivak maybe would be shattering at the World Cup but uh, we've got all this happening now with this and all the one of pulling his ear out yeah I'm sure he is and yeah. it's, it's, it's a difficult one as well once the World Cup is over I think the first game could potentially be Wales against the Barbarians with Warren Gatlin coaching. And, you know, a lot of the public was still of a view that Wales should have somehow kept Sean Edwards. If there's a yeah. game over the, in early days of Pivak's reign where, you know, tries are conceded and the defence is looking a bit flaky, then the, the, the honeymoon period might not last very long. Yeah. It, it's not an ideal... I mean, Pivak must have... could really have done without all of this, couldn't he? Oh, absolutely. Um, what's he going to do in the defence? Is he going to yeah. bring a second defence? Well, this is the other thing. Now, he's dug a hole for himself by saying he wanted it, you know, by claiming he wanted a second defence coach all along, uh, where a lot of people saw it. Uh, they only say it now because they wanted to keep Sean Edwards. Uh, the, the proof of being a pudding when uh, when it's uh, finally unveiled who's his Wales's defence coach and is there more than one person 
I mean, Byron Hayward, uh, barring a massive U-turn on his part, has got certainly got one job. Is he going to be just him doing the defence, or will they still bring in someone else now? So I think we we'll, yeah. uh, once we know the answer, once we've got the answer to that, we'll uh, know what his perhaps uh, true stance was on Sean Edwards. Is there is, is there any more twists to this Sean Edwards? Have you, is this it now? Never know. <laughs> Is that, is that Pivak digging a hole for himself with the two defenders, or was that the WRU digging a hole for Pivak? Well, the WRU expressing interest in Edwards publicly. Yeah, I think you're right there, Ben. You know, I was amazed when uh, Simon and I were there, and uh, Matt Phillips, chief executive, came out with that about he'd spoken to Edwards and wanted him to arrange a meeting for more talks. You know, I, um, I don't did Pivak already know that 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 was going to happen or not? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I was thought WRU would have kept that in house. Uh, and the raps, and to be honest, not told us in the media uh, that the, they wanted to talk Sean Edwards. And you, you know, I wonder myself, Simon, he's big on his social media, he's the main social media man, but is this the power of social media? Because the WIU felt obliged to go back to Sean Edwards. And there was after, after he said that he, uh, it wasn't him. Yeah, there was, there was certainly a public outcry over it. Yeah. But I think as well, the union would. would once it became apparent to them that there was an opportunity to keep Edwards, and they were probably right to try and do it. It was just then it became a bit awkward because you had to shoehorn in a defensive, two-man defensive yeah. system, which probably you wouldn't yeah. have gone for ideally. And then it's Pivak saving face saying yeah. he always yeah. wanted to, yeah. probably. It's difficult. Why, why then did they appoint Pivak so far out from when he's actually taken out the job and not make more effort to keep Warren Gatlin? I think that their view at the time was that Gatlin had made it absolutely clear that the World Cup was going to be an end for him. He's going to go back to New Zealand. There was no way in which he would stay. And I think they were then wanted the, they didn't that. want to be spending like a, a year, you know, almost up against yeah. a deadline. They wanted to get it done well in advance so everyone knows. Of course, that then creates this difficult situation where you've got Wayne Pivak having a season with the Scottish where it hasn't gone quite so well for yeah. them, you know. It's... Wasn't it a case that the WIU, this current regime, were trying to ease one and got following the Wales Tour New Zealand in 2016? And if Gatlin hadn't done such a remarkable job with the 2017 Lions, he might not have come back. But do you think there was ever a realistic possibility of Gatlin staying beyond this World Cup? You speak to him, you know. Yeah, Gatlin. I must say, Gatlin has got a great love for Welsh rugby. And a great feeling about Welsh rugby, and the last thing he would want is for it to go belly up after he leaves. He is, you, you never know, do you? Okay, I, I'd say myself, his time is probably up, it might have been up after the last uh, World Cup, but of course, these appointments are made, aren't they, when uh, they based on results at the time, yeah. and when they decided to seek a new course. Because remember mm. that in New Zealand, I covered that talk in 2016, when the WIU match first came out to sing, they'd had a review after the 2015. Uh, uh, World Cup and decided on a new uh, change in tactics and things like that and um, and you know telling Gatlin really to change the style of play um, so you know that was a bit that was a bit of a shock to Gatlin to read all that stuff so um, so you know but then Gatlin he goes there he turns it round didn't he he turned it round Wales were uh, 2016 did we finished was it fifth in the Six Nations the fifth and second last year, so the fifth one had the worst music, the worst season under him. So, you know, his standing had gone down a bit. So then he got to New Zealand, it was a test three nil, competitive mind for two matches, and then um but picking it up following six last last year's six nations, was it? Second, win it this year. 
And of course now his position is different, isn't it? If Wales were making an appointment now, Wales just won a Six Nations, would be favoured for the job. And his standing is so high, he's now going to do a third Lions coach as head coach. Yeah, but that's yeah. no surprise. We, you know, we were right in that one. We after he came back from New Zealand so in 2017, that job was his, wasn't it? If he wanted it, simple. But it just shows again, you know, just right, he's absolutely at the peak of his power still, isn't he? Yeah, he's a fantastic coach. Imagine what he could do with the Dragons and the squad they've got. And he, and he would bring someone in and he gets up because of his standing he gets someone in and upside down mm. but yeah, yeah. just because of everywhere he's been whoosh top coach tell you what if they were picking a Lions team at the minute there's one man who'd be full back Alex Good might be a fair point uh, <laughs> <laughs> Liam Williams he's had an outstanding season you know both for Wales and for the Saracens it's only um, one game all season, 21 games. We were in, ben and I were in the office this week and Ben had just come back from covering the um, Bridge End Point of Blue yep. game. I'd been monitoring the uh, Heineken Champions Cup final, obviously because of the bearing on the Welsh qualification, <laughs> but also keeping a close eye on Ian Williams. And he had a very fine game, he's carrying, he just seems to consistently beat the first man there. But the one big moment that stood out um, was where it, it was very much in the balance, the game, lends to a pressing and then a man over... Liam had called it wrong, it was going to be a try, called it perfectly right, came in, took the, the last but one man, not only took him, threw him to the ground, jackled over the top, some people might say slightly illegally with a bit of a scrape in terms of winning the ball, but he won the penalty, he won the ball, they cleared their lines, went on to win it. Massive moment of the game, and it was uh, a high point of a very high season for him. Fine player. Echo what Simon says. Good, Echo, you used to work for the Echo. 11th Welshman to win yeah. the Champions Cup. Name the other Simon. Um, there was three from Bath. There was your mate, Tony. Yes. Tony Reese. Tony Reese, otherwise known as Rizla, because that's uh, when he jumped for the ball. The yeah, line so now you're going to get his feet as uh, yeah, the, eye off the ground. Yeah, Tony Reese. Tony Reese. Tony Reese. We'll do it together. Tony Reese. Uh, breathe. The three from Bath were Ian Evans, Richard Webster, and Nathan Thomas, who you interviewed recently, talking about those days. Yeah. Two from Northampton, uh, Alan Bateman and Andy Newman. A lot yes. of people forget. Uh, over to you yeah. now. Yes. You mean over to me? Well, there's Alfie Gareth Thomas Alfie. won it, Lee Halfpenny's won it as well. Uh, Rob Howley famously won it with a try you know, for Wasp. So, yeah, it's a, he's joined a very elite band, Liam, and he deserves to be right high up, you know, in the successful uh, level in international shame rugby about and it European rugby because he's a fine, fine rugby player. The shame is why a Welsh club or region other than ever won a competition when the Irish have had so much success over the years. I still can't get my head around it with the place we've had in Wales. And look at that Ospreys team, the Galacticals, and they never got past the quarterfinals. Come on, yep. people used to say to me, players from other countries who have covered the Lions tour, well, what's the matter with the Ospreys with Scott? They go, they should be winning Europe. I think that's a podcast for another day. That is that is definitely a podcast because my laptop's about to die. So um, <laughs> we'll quickly get predictions for t- Saturday. Uh, Ospreys. Ospreys. I actually think the Scarlets will win. I think that, you know, although it's been a difficult season for Wayne Pavak, um, him and Stephen Jones will want to end on a high. Europe means an awful lot to the Scarlets historically. They've been given a second chance at this, really. Um, I think they will take it, and I think they'll beat the Ospreys by one score. There we go. Ponypool. Pony, where you come from? I said Ospreys earlier. Yeah, you show. did. So there we are. Ponypool from Netflix, quickly. Ponypool. Ponypool. I've got Pony. Yeah, Pony Pool. Um, so yeah, that's it for the, the Welsh Rugby Podcast and before my laptop dies. Um, so for all the action from Ponyball versus Bethley on Friday night and Scarlet versus Ospreys on Saturday night, you can catch it all on Wales Online.